You're listening to The Wannabe Minimalist Show with Deanna Yates, episode number 88. On today's episode, I'm taking a look at my relationship with money to talk about being an underspender, what that means, how it's different from overspenders, and tips for how to overcome either side of the spending spectrum. If you've ever struggled with money, then stay tuned because I have some tips that are really going to help you out today. Welcome to Wannabe Clutter Free, formerly Wannabe Minimalist, the podcast for busy families who are tired of the chaos, fed up with being overwhelmed, and ready to enjoy life again. Each week, we talk about how to let go of the clutter so that you can focus on the things that actually matter. And it's not just physical clutter. We talk about the mental and emotional stuff too, because if it's holding you back, it's time to ditch it. I share what I've done in my own life to declutter, organize, and calm the chaos, but you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's practical, doable, and simple for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Hey there, friend. Welcome back to the show. My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm excited you are joining me today. Last week, I opened up and shared some of my minimalist mistakes and frugal fails. And based on that reaction, it looks like I am not alone. Money is something a lot of us struggle with. Perhaps it's because we were taught that it's rude to talk about money, or maybe our role models had a really bad relationship with money too. But getting to the heart of my money struggles, well, it's been tough, and I know it's a struggle that a lot of us go through. It's like I don't want to face my fears, and when I do try, I end up putting up walls, I get upset, and I do practically anything to avoid looking in the mirror or facing the issue with money. So my reaction is the reason that I know that something's wrong, and it's why I know I need to do something about it. And quickly, before we jump into it today, I want to remind you that you can pick up the show notes for today's episode at my new website, wannabeclutterfree.com slash 88. And there you will find any links that I discussed today. And there will probably be quite a few because this is a more research heavy episode, along with my latest download, The Happier at Home Guide. Five simple steps that you can take today to tidy up, take back your sanity, and thrive at home. It's completely free and it's my gift to you. These five steps have changed my life and they are so powerful that I still do them every single day to make my life easier. So make sure you head to wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 88 to check out the links for today's topic and to get that free guide. Now again, that's wannabeclutterfree.com slash 88. Okay, so let's start talking about money issues. Yay! No, but seriously, I think it would be best to start with definitions because I actually think that I already mislabeled myself. You see, I called myself an underspender. In the intro, I called myself that last week, but that's not quite right. It turns out that I am an underbuyer. So what's the difference? Well, in my research for this episode, I came across Julie Kazin's article titled The Seven Deadly Money Disorders, where she talks about her experience at an intensive workshop for people with severe money disorders, and it's in Nashville, Tennessee, and it's called OnSite. So I will link to that article so that you can read up about it. And being an underspender was number three on the list. The other six are hoarding, compulsive shopping, financial incompatibility, financial enabling, workaholism, and financial incest. I'll link to these in the show notes, so whichever one you want to read up on, you can explore more if they interest you. But let's look at underspending, since that's what I was calling myself. Well, an underspender is someone who, quote, finds it painful to part with their cash. 
end quote. Now that definition, that part sounds right, but it's de- the definition for underspender is more than just that. According to Julie's article and her research at Onsite, underspending is an aversion to spending more rather than the desire to stockpile. And so when someone is an underspender, they will do things like leave an embarrassingly small tip at a restaurant or no tip at all at a restaurant because it physically pains them to part with money. And when shopping, an underspender will haggle excessively over quality and price to get a better deal. Now, as I read through her research, I understood that neither of these additional definitions fit me. And that's when I realized that I first came across this concept from Gretchen Rubin. Now, she is the author most known for her book, The Happiness Project, and I believe she discusses this concept in another one of her books. I think it's The Four Tendencies. It might be another one, but I will definitely make sure that I link to the books, um, to her books, because they're all fantastic. And after going back to her research, I discovered that I should actually be calling myself an under buyer, not an underspender. So according to Gretchen, an underbuyer is someone who buys items one at a time and only when it's necessary. So even if it is a necessity that you use every single day. So her example is saline solution, you know, contact lens solution and only buying one bottle at a time, even though she uses it morning and night. And so you think it would be smart to have an extra one of those on hand. So some other examples of hers are an underbuyer scrambles to buy an item like a winter coat or a bathing suit after the point at which you need it. So for instance, a few days before a planned vacation, you're going to go on a ski trip and you're leaving in a few days and you still don't have a winter coat. Like, okay, you knew that was coming up or you're planning to go to Hawaii and you need a bathing suit. You know that's coming up. So the problem is that by waiting until the last minute, these items are often sold out by the time that you show up at the store or you are under a time crunch. And so you either end up with something that's just okay, or you end up having to spend a lot more money because all of the, you know, middle priced range ones are all gone. So yep, I definitely have been guilty of this. And I have found that this approach actually wastes a lot more energy because it can be difficult to find the right thing. It costs more, like I was saying, in the end, because again, you're wasting your time and time costs money. And like I said, usually those middle range products are gone. So you either are stuck with the really expensive thing or the really cheap thing. And it just doesn't work out in the end. An underbuyer is someone who is suspicious of specialized objects and resists buying things dedicated to very specific issues. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and raise my hand. Um, Things like, well, she lists things like hand cream or rain boots. Because in my own life, first off, I have definitely recommended people get rid of things that are specific items like uh, what's the thing I'm thinking of? Like a quesadilla maker, like those kinds of things. If you can, if you have a pan, you can make a quesadilla without needing the quesadilla maker, right? Okay. But so other ways I've done this in my life, um, we have resisted buying plastic kid plates. We actually just taught our daughter to drink out of a glass cup. And we've always just used our regular plates and flatware, even when she was a toddler. So you can decide if that seems like a bad thing or not. Personally, I'm actually okay with that one. I'm okay with a little chip here or there on a plate so that I didn't have to add stuff to my home. I didn't have to add plastic waste to the world. And so I'm just going to say that I don't always think that this one is bad, but I can see why it would get you in trouble if you didn't want to buy things like hand cream and spend the extra money on it when that is what you would need. Okay. 
An underbuyer often needs to come up with a makeshift solution because you don't have what you need when you need it. So for example, you end up using soap to shave your legs because you've run out of shaving cream. An underbuyer often puts off buying an item in the moment because you reckon, quote, I'll get it some other time, or you decide that you don't really need it. Now, sometimes this works out, but sometimes you regret not getting that item and then you have to make a second trip back to the store. So again, I think it's about balance here. And then finally, an underbuyer buys as little as possible. So say you put $10 of gas in the car instead of filling up the tank. Even though this is something that you need, you're going to use it. So if you filled up the car, you are going to use that gas and it saves you from an extra trip. So can you see how that differs from underspenders? An underspender, um, you know, really has a problem like parting from money, like it physically pains them to part from money, where an underbuyer wants to maximize the the money they spend, I think. So you don't want to spend more than you absolutely need to, um, but it doesn't necessarily pain you to spend the money when you feel like it's an adequate need. So either way, the problem here is that underbuying or underspending can add a lot of extra stress to your life. Instead of using the money you've earned, you hold on to it and you let fear rule your life. You live in a scarcity mindset and fear that you won't, that if you spend your money, you're not going to be get, you're not going to be able to get more later on, right? You wait to buy things and that waiting leads to last minute trips to the store, running out of something important, making do with a less than ideal substitute, or spending more money because the less expensive options are sold out. Now, let's look at the opposite side of that scale and define overspenders and overbuyers. So according to Julie Kazan's article, an overspender is actually called a compulsive shopper, and it's characterized as someone who tries to achieve safety, comfort, and affection by spending excessively on themselves and others. It often stems from deprivation during childhood or some really defining moment in their life, and they convince themselves that they could only get, I want you to fill in the blank here because it could be anything, if they could finally become, if they could only get this one thing, then they would finally become happy, right? I think a lot of people have said this to, to themselves, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're overspenders. So shopping becomes a temporary escape from worry or anxiety, and it fills a void. That's, over, that's compulsive shopper or overspender. Now, according to Gretchen Rubin, an overbuyer is someone who buys things for which there is no need yet. Her example is buying clothes for an unborn baby or, you know, perhaps you're not even pregnant yet and then they don't get worn because by the time the clothes fit the season, the baby no longer fits in them or you forget about them. These are the kinds of things that happen with an overbuying. Now, an overbuyer often has huge supplies of things that are used up slowly like shampoo or cough medicine or toothpaste. An overbuyer will purchase items such as a tool or tech gadget with the thought, of quote, this will probably come in handy. Overbuyers have a long list of stores to visit before they travel or before they go anywhere or do anything. Overbuyers find themselves throwing things away like milk, medicine, or pantry goods because they've hit their expiration date before they're used up. Overbuyers purchase items with the thought of quote, this will make a great gift without having a recipient in mind. And overbuyers rationalize their purchases by saying, Quote, buying these things shows that I'm responsible, organized, and thoughtful. Okay, so the problem with overspending or overbuying is probably more noticeable. 
Now, these issues lead to stress in your life, just like under buyers, but it's in a different way. It's in the way of high debt, bills that become scary to open, and an abundance of stuff in your home. And it can also lead to buyer's remorse and feeling bad about the extra purchases that you made. And this continues that cycle of buying more for that shopper's high only to experience those low feelings again. So the highs get a little bit lower and the lows kind of keep going. And so do either of these descriptions sound more familiar? Now, I don't think any of us are 100% overbuyers or 100% overspenders, uh, or underbuyer, sorry. I don't think 100% underbuyer or overbuyer. I think we all probably have a mix of both of these things, but I'm sure we probably lean to one side more than the other. So which side seems more familiar to you? It is really tough coming to terms with money issues. None of us wants to face the idea that we might not be doing the best we can. The good news is that we are in charge of our lives and we can take the steps necessary to fix these problems for good. But the only way to do that is to look it straight in the eye and then make a commitment to change. So here's what the research says we should do to improve our situation. So whether you are an underbuyer or an overbuyer, and I want to go ahead and pause here and say that If after listening to these descriptions, you think that you fit more of the underspender or the compulsive buyer category, I want to encourage you to reach out to a professional for more specialized help. I am not a medical professional, and so I can only speak to what has worked in my life, and this is not intended to be medical advice, okay? All right, so let's look at these solutions because that's what you're here for, right? The funny thing is that the first step for both of these issues is the same. And I'm actually going to tell you five different ways you can address these problems, but they're all the same. So there's a way with each of these steps to address over or under buying. So whether you are an under or an over buyer, you should start with a plan. Now, this plan is called a budget. I know I hate them, too, but it doesn't have to be difficult. All you need to do is figure out how much money you have coming in each month or week, and then figure out how much you have committed to spend that month or that week. So for instance, I want you to add up all your income on one side. It's usually pretty easy as most of us only have a few things that actually bring money into our lives. And then the next step is to add up all the things that you spend money on each month that are set. So these are going to be things like your housing costs, your utilities, food, insurances, car payments, kids' activities, entertainment, student loans, savings and investments, and of course, those dreaded credit card bills. Now, some of these may be areas where you can cut back, but that's not what we're after right now, okay? So today, I just want you to start so that we can remedy our spending habits and our money mindsets. So it's really just getting a grasp on what we have coming in and what we have coming out. So the third thing to do is to look at the last few months of your credit card bills and your bank statements and then add in any expenses that you might have forgotten about. Now, here comes the part where the strategies differ. If you are an underbuyer, you may find that you have extra money left over, right? Now, this will show you that you actually have some money to spend on things that would make your life easier, or you can put the, put it away in the bank. It just gives you a little bit of a buffer so that you don't feel like you're so short on money every month. It just opens your eyes. So 
You could do things like buying an extra item so that you have a little back stock, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. We will be right back. And now, back to the show. But if you're an overspender, you will probably hit this moment and the reality will smack you in the face that you're falling behind a little bit more each month. And this is where a lot of people find themselves. So if this is you, please do not beat yourself up because it's you can overcome this. I know you can. And it's better that you're doing it now than next month or six months from now or six years from now. So let's just pat ourselves on the back. The fact that we're here, we cannot bury our head in the sand and get out of problems. So I want to do something about it. So we're going to look at your expense category and then you're going to see what you can cut out in your life, even if it's temporary. Can you cook more at home? Can you make coffee at home? Then look around your house and see if there's something that you can sell. I know I normally say to just donate things and don't waste time with selling stuff, but we're solving money problems today. So this is an exception. I want you to look for extra furniture or nice clothes that you never wear. Then sell those things and use any money that you make or that you save and pay off your debt. Okay. That is the way that we're going to be able to kind of work through this mindset and have open eyes, clear eyes. So under buyers can say, okay, I actually have a little buffer. I don't have to be so stingy when I'm at the store and I can buy something that's going to make my life a little bit easier. And overspenders can say, okay, whoa, I might be going a little overboard here. And next time you're at the store, you can say, hmm. I don't want that. I want something else in my life because I don't want this debt anymore. So I'm going to pass over this impulse buy, right? Okay, let's look at another strategy. So the second thing we can do is to automate our bills. Now, in our home, we automatically split my husband's paycheck so that our payments are fully automated. Now, our housing payments and utilities are automatically paid from a dedicated bank account, so we never actually see that money. It's easier to save and not spend it, right? When you see a giant chunk of money in your account, you feel like it's okay to make those little impulse buys when you're an overspender. But if you don't see it, then it's easier for you to say, oh, the money's not there. I can't spend it. So the automation helps underbuyers because they don't have to feel stressed when the money is spent. It's out of sight, out of mind. It happens automatically on the back end. So there is no mental energy used up and it all can go to other things in your life. Now, it helps overbuyers because it's harder to spend money that you don't even see. So it just, it's out of sight, out of mind for both sides of the spectrum. Okay, so the third thing that helps overcome these limiting money mindsets is to get your back stock in order. Now, underbuyers struggle with buying only what they need when they need it, so it becomes really stressful when things run out. So what has worked really well for me is this idea of having a small back stock of things that I use all the time and having them on hand so that I no longer have to run to the store when I run out. These are things like toiletries, our favorite pantry goods, and household necessities. Now, this has been a huge stress reliever in my life, and it's one of my favorite lessons that I teach in Tidy Home Academy. Now, the key is keeping my back stock and inventory of items very low, so it's not overwhelming, it's not causing clutter, it's not stressing me out. And the easiest way to do this, if you want to start this and you haven't gone through Tidy Home Academy yet, is to just have one extra on hand of the things that you would drop everything and run to the store for. Like if you ran out of deodorant, would you stop 
go to the store before you moved on with your day? If so, then that you should have one extra of those in your back stock, okay? Overbuyers tend to have too much back stock. So they buy things because they think they might need them. Now that means that things are on hand, but they never actually get used. Because either it's something you bought just in case, or by the time you get to it, it's expired. Okay, so remember, just because something is useful does not mean it will be used by you. And if it will not be used by you, you do not need to store that item in your home. Now, if this sounds like you, I want you to take a realistic look at what you have in your home. I want you to pay attention for how long it takes you to use up a bottle of shampoo or toothpaste or whatever else you have on hand, and then let go of those items that will go bad or hit their expiration date before you have a chance to use it up. So let's use toothpaste as an example. Let's say you have 12 tubes of toothpaste on hand, and in general, it takes you three months to go through each tube of toothpaste. Well, if the toothpaste is going to go bad in a year, then you need to only keep four at most on hand, okay? Because those others will be expired by the time you get to them. And then at that point, you can't donate them. You can't give them to anybody else. Nobody else wants these expired toothpastes either. So free up the space in your home, donate them to a homeless shelter or your local charity, and free up the space, help somebody else out, and then you'll be able to use up all this toothpaste. And it won't be just extra waste in the world, okay? Once you have done that, I want you to create a list for all the items that you already have enough of in your house so that when you're out and you see that toothpaste on sale and it's a really good deal, you can resist the urge to buy more because you already know you have everything you can use up this year and you won't need any more for another 12 months. So you're out shopping, you can just walk on by that toothpaste because even if it's only a dollar a tube, it's still going to be a waste because you're never going to get to it. All right. So this helps you call that collection slowly over time so that it's less stressful to implement. Because after all, we are we are after these small but mighty steps that work so that we can ensure our progress and these wins, not necessarily the complete overhaul of our lives overnight. We need changes that are sustainable so that we can keep doing them and make our lives better. But usually these cold turkey really quick switches won't stick, okay? All right, let's move on to the fourth idea, and that is to invest in experiences. For underbuyers, an experience can be seen as an investment, not an investment in stocks or in your bank account, but one in happiness and quality of life. So going out to dinner with friends is an investment in friendship. A family vacation to a new destination is an investment in the family and the kids' education and development. It's easier for underbuyers to spend money on themselves when experiences are looked at as investments and phrased in that kind of vocabulary. On the flip side, experiences are also great for overbuyers. So I want you to think back to when I was defying overbuyers as someone who fills a void like loneliness or stress with a shopper's high or the dopamine hit that we feel when we make a purchase that makes us feel good. Now, we can still receive that happiness hit when we purchase an experience. Now, the good part is that there is no physical good hanging around to trigger buyer's remorse or add to our already cluttered homes. And the experience that we purchased and that we actually get to do is a great way to increase your true happiness levels. You can start a new hobby, which may lead to new friendships. And even if it doesn't, you know, these new experiences and hobbies give you something to occupy your time. 
so that you have less time to indulge in whatever negative feelings were pushing you toward that shopping in the first place. Okay, and the final tip I want to share about overcoming underbuying or overbuying is to create a goal or a reward for yourself. Now, what is something that would motivate you to spend money on yourself or save money for, the, for a long-term goal? Maybe it's having money to splurge on a day at the spa. Maybe it's hiring a house cleaner once a month. Maybe it's saving up for a vacation and finally going somewhere as a family or on a couple's trip. The point is only you will know what will motivate you to change your spending habits and stick to a new goal. So I want you to think about what your ideal life looks like. How can you move it in that direction? How can you move your current life into the direction of your ideal life? even if it's just a teeny tiny little bit. Then I want you to put a reminder of that goal somewhere where, you're, where you will see it regularly. I want you to pop a note in your wallet. I want you to put a sticky note up on your fridge or on your computer screen. I want you to make it the wallpaper on your cell phone. The truth is that most of us need frequent reminders of our goals, even if we want to do them, because it's so easy to get caught up in whatever is happening at the moment. So I want you to set yourself up for success and make sure that you will see these reminders several times a day. Because when you see these reminders and these ideas, it triggers that, you know, moment in your brain that says, oh, right, I am saving for this big thing. Then as an underbuyer, when you have finally set that, when you've met that goal of whatever your savings amount is, it is easier for you to part with the money. Because you have said over and over and over to yourself, I'm saving for this. I'm saving for a trip to Europe. I'm saving for a half day at the spa. I am saving for a housekeeper that can come and help me clean my house once a month. And then once you have saved up that amount of money, it's easier to spend it because you already have it and it is set aside and earmarked. As an overspender, overbuyer, You will be able to do this because having that reminder in your wallet, when you're sitting there in the line at the checkout and you see the magazine that costs $7.99 or the extra pack of gum or, you know, whatever else is there, you know, the pack of cookies, you're going to walk down the Oreo aisle, you're going to see something that you want. You're going to see that reminder and say, "Mm, I don't actually need to spend that extra 10 bucks today because I want to take that trip to Europe. I want to have a housekeeper come. I would much rather have a half day at a spa than this packet of Oreos, right? So this is why setting out a goal and a reward for yourself can help you overcome both underbuying or overbuying. And with that, I want to turn it to you. Did any of this sound familiar today? Are you an underbuyer like me or do you struggle with overbuying? I'd love to hear where you fall in the spectrum so that we can commiserate together and help each other out, of course. I want you to come on over to the Wannabe Minimalist Family Group on Facebook and share. The group is super supportive. And remember, it is a private group. So you do not have to put this realization of if you are an overbuyer or overspender, um, sorry, overbuyer or underbuyer out to your friends and family, right? This is our private group. And we will be there to encourage you and grow together. We can make our lives the ones that we are excited to wake up for every single day. And I am looking forward to cheering you along and hearing about your progress. 
And don't forget to pick up all the show notes for today at wannabeclutterfree.com slash 88. I'll have lots of research and links to back up today's show and information. So if you want to dive deeper, you can find it there. And you can also find links to my resources that will help you on your journey of living the life of your dreams with less stuff. And of course, you will also find my newest guide there, Happier at Home, five easy steps that you can take to tidy up, take back your sanity and thrive at home. It's all on my website at wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 88. And I would love to be part of your support team. So if you need more help with decluttering, organizing, styling a room, or creating better home systems, I've got your back. The tools and resources are on my website. So many free resources on there. And they're designed to help you develop the skills you need to go from just surviving to fully thriving in your tidy home and happy life. And I'd love to have you join me. So if you are not part of my community yet, check out the show notes for links to come to the community on Facebook. Follow along on Instagram. I'm wanna be clutter free there and join my email list by grabbing the happier at home guide or just send me an email. You can find links to all of it at wannabeclutterfree.com slash 88. And before I go, I wanna thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and haven't done so already, please take a moment to leave a rating and a review. You can do it right now on the app you are using to listen to this episode. And while you're there, let me know what you think of the show and what else you want me to cover. Not only is it nice to hear how the show is helping others, it's one of the best ways for me to help you and talk about the topics that interest you the most. With that, I just want to thank you again for joining me. Come back here next week and we are going to move on to more organizing tips next week. I feel like I've been talking about money now for a little while, a little bit of decluttering. I want to hop back into some organizing. So check it out here next week where we will be working on organizing your home. All right. Cheers. Cheers.